Hello and welcome to the Monocle Culture Show with me, Ben Ryland, sitting in for Robert Bound this week. Today we're giving things a bit of a zhuzh, as one Carson Kressley might have said, as we turn our own queer eyes to the hit Netflix self-improvement series, Queer Eye. It's just landed with season four, and if you're not up to speed with where this show came from, well, where have you been? Anyway, here's a brief history lesson. Queer Eye started out as Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, a weekly makeover show that ran during the mid-noughties and brought us, among other things, the biting wit that made Carson Kressley a global name. The old format was fairly straightforward, shall we say. The Fab Five, as they came to be known, would arrive at the home of a straight man with the mission of remaking his living space, clearing out his wardrobe, shaping up his kitchen skills, and often giving him a bit of a refresher course on the art of dating. The modern series takes a slightly different approach. The straight guy has been dropped from the title, reflecting its broader focus, and there's a new Fab Five. And the show is, arguably, more concerned with emotional improvement than jazzing up someone's sad old hairdo. Just 18 months and four seasons in, the careers of the new Fab Five are flying high, and it does seem that Queer Eye has a solid future ahead. But can its makeover format stand the test of time? Well, joining me today are the TV critics, Scott Bryan and Toby Earle. This is Jonathan Benes, formerly of Quincy Senior High School, wishing you a gorgeous day. Are you guys ready to learn about who we're helping tonight? Kathy was my orchestra teacher. She's so dedicated that she puts herself in the back burner. I've never had a conversation with a gay person before. Oh. We'll see how it goes. What he's doing for his community is incredible. She's been wearing the same makeup and hairstyle since the 90s. Jeez, honey. I'm ready to let go of my old life and grow into my new. Try not to cry. Try not to lose it. Welcome home. Oh, my God. Scott and Toby, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi, thank I love what you've done with the place. Yeah, thank you in. very much. Unfortunately, it's not quite as nice as the Fab Five's famous loft, I have to say. But, you know, we are <laughs> we are getting there. Uh, look, this is pretty exciting. I'm glad that we're getting to have a bit of a chat about the refreshed Queer Eye. I look at it and think, I mean, this is very much personality-driven, first and foremost, I think. Toby, how do you feel about how the format mixes with that that personality side of things? Because sometimes I do tune in and think, well, the makeover side of things is actually becoming second. It's coming second to what we're actually focusing on, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think um, in the introduction there, I think that was uh, a beautifully succinct way of describing it. The more concerned about the emotional makeover, I think uh, you know it's kind of incredible. So it only came back in February 2018. We're on. The fourth series already. Yeah, I, um, I had to read that about three or four times. How is that even possible? Yeah, so they are absolutely trying to fix, for the moment, America, one person <laughs> at a time, and one community at a time. But certainly it does feel like sometimes the, 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 the trips to the shops to find them a new wardrobe are very much um, in second place to people's emotional well-being and also tackling topics which uh, have come to the fore over the last few years. And, I, and you know, toxic masculinity, 
for one as an example which has been sort of tackled i think on the show a few times and and i and i think what the reboot has done here is is pretty smart it is it has accepted that of course looks are not everything and we all know looks are not everything and we've always known looks are not everything and even though they would have had those emotional beats in the original series back in 2003 and how you know for how long it ran for um it is it is absolutely at the show's core this time around that actually um I mean, doing what they can to fix or heal individuals is really their key mission. And all these things around them are there to just make people feel a little bit better about themselves, give them more confidence and give them more self-confidence. But I think, you know, in this new series, I was I was I was really taken aback by the second episode with the chap called Wesley. Um, and and he he's in a wheelchair. He was shot, paralyzed. Um, and he and, and, and during the course of the show, he is introduced to the man who shot it, who shot him. And he wants to find out just why, what happened, your perspective on the situation. Now, I, I was quite um, astonished that what is ostensibly a feel-good makeover show, which is all about positivity, which is all about bringing, um, uh, sort of giving to people who often give to others, um, then made this step into a territory which uh, is more hard dock territory, quite frankly. And, and I won't give it away what happens, mm. but it's a fairly incredible thing to see. And and um, and I, they really, I think, deserve some kind of you know um, commendation for that because they clearly are moving the format into deeper, deeper territories. It feels with every passing series. Absolutely. It's, it's hard to argue that they're not taking this absolutely seriously. And um, Scott... When you look at the, the format for the show now, it, I mean, look, obviously it owes a little bit to RuPaul's Drag Race and how that's really become a, a deeply emotional ride. It's a lot of fun, but then you can't watch it without tearing up a little bit every now and then as well. What were your initial thoughts when you started watching this reboot for Queer Eye? I, I'll, I'll be honest. I was in my early 20s when the original series was on, and my first impression was a bit of a grumble. Oh, they're bringing this back again. Have they run out of ideas? What a cliche. Yeah. I have to say I've been proven completely wrong in in that case. What were your thoughts when this first appeared? I mean, to be honest, is there more than a week when a show doesn't come back from the dead? <laughs> come on, the cynicism yeah. is always here. I I think that I... I mean, I, I'm gay myself, and I think when I first heard that this show was coming back, I was quite gutted because I felt that the original Queer Eye, although it did a lot of good things back then, don't get me wrong, I think that it didn't show the the true variety of what it's like to be LGBT. It, and I think it provided to some a sort of, I think it sort of maybe sort of came across like a stereotypical view. Not to myself, but I think to other people. And I felt that it doesn't really reflect my experience. It doesn't really reflect the community. Um, and then the way that they managed to, by not just having people who were straight being sort of transformed, but people who uh, maybe LGBT themselves, I found to be showing much more a reflection of the times. And that, you know, with each of these um, contributors, you know, Tan and uh, Kurama and so forth, you know, they are um, LGBT and that is a part of the show, but it's not a real core of who they are as individuals. They bring a lot more to the table than just their, their sexuality. It's down to their specialism, their knowledge, their passion and, and their interests. So when I got into the show thinking, oh, OK, this is actually much more about them as individuals rather than making a big song and dance about, look, these are gay guys. You know, it's it, it, 
it felt a much more emotional than I was expecting it to be and much more related to my own experience. And also, it, it, it was weird for me. I was going through a bit of a breakup at, at that time. And I never knew that there could be a show out there that could be prescribing just real good advice about looking after yourself and um, getting stuff for yourself and, and pretty much you know it's not it's not a bad thing to put yourself as number one you know it's self-care is important because if you the only way that you can treat your others well is sometimes by treating yourself well and that kind of I needed that message and I needed that reassurance and it was also quite nice to then buy plants and just see them all die over the course of the next six months I think (laughs) I mean look if you can't love yourself how the hell are you going to love someone else there we go there you go um I I sort of I, I do agree with most of that However, when you look back at the original series and even some of the other series that were on at the time as well, I think the old Will and Grace would have been going at at that time as well. Uh, It was a bit of a, a, you could almost call it the dark ages of mainstream gay characters Mm. on television. In retrospect, with the benefit of retrospect, do you look at those series now and think, well, they were essential stepping stones to where we are now and where we are going now? Totally. I mean, it's... I mean, I had a really weird association with Will and Grace myself because I found the characters not reflective of who I was. But then I remember that actually being LGBT, you know, it can be a million different ways, a million different things. And I think having any sign of representation can be a good sign. And I think it's kind of the way of what I've been so lovely to see and reflected within TV generally is now when you go onto a Wikipedia page, there's one and it just says LGBT characters on TV. In the 80s, it's virtually none, like maybe one or two. In, in the 90s, it was, you know, um, uh, you know, queer as folk and a couple of mentions and maybe a few soaps. But even then, it was incidental and they normally got killed off quite quickly. Um, and then you get to the 10s and to now and it's long like huge and there's so many different characters from 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 you know different uh sexualities different gender identity and i think one of the greatest things that tv can give i think is is by seeing a part of you represented on screen in terms of your own struggle in terms of your own problems in terms terms of your own identity and i think that you know it was fantastic that uh queer eye and also willing grace provided that for many people but it's also great that it continues in other shows much more sort of you know without trying to just be a sitcom without just trying to be a structured reality show you know it's it's, it's the whole environment i think has changed for the better mm, absolutely uh, toby it's always going to be a, a difficult thing for a program like this to balance as scott has been saying you know there is this massive responsibility that comes with a broadcaster with a platform like netflix mm. when they're making something that is ostensibly about gay people there is going to be that massive expectation among a lot of people to represent me represent everything about the community and Mm. naturally the pressures of reality suggest not everyone is going to feel represented no matter what you do i think hbo felt that felt the force of that quite strongly when the when they came out with looking a couple of Mm. years ago and there was quite a backlash towards that and it didn't last all that long and when you look at the current series of queer eye and perhaps even when it first came back and how it's evolved now how do you think they're managing that expectation with also the expectation that they be a somewhat light and fluffy, fun show to watch when you when you just want to get home after after work and not have to switch yourself on too much? 
I mean, I, I mean, there's, there's a great question. And I think that's exactly what they probably ask themselves every single time that they go back to making a series. How do we best represent people in a way that feels inclusive, also feels broad as well at the same time? I think like what Scott was saying there about seeing seeing yourself or a part of yourself on screen. I think they understand. I I would like to think they, under, they understand the responsibility they currently have because these five five um, chaps have, have absolutely... Um, I mean, they've become a phenomenon. Um, they have made Netflix a place which looks like it is keen to take on LGBTQ um, plus talent and give them a space and also allow, you know, at the same time, allow everyone in, what's it, 190 countries, wherever it is, to also be part of that space as well, to, to, to experience more about these lives. And I think they probably have, they, they, I mean, like I say, I would like to think they would consider very carefully what it is they do and how they go about it, because they are, um, I think they, I mean, I don't, I don't, I hope I'm not wrong here, Scott, I would, I would, presume them to be flag bearers in some respect in terms of in terms of how um they have uh you know how ha, ha, how the series has become a phenomenon how mm. and how they how they are seen in the community yeah totally i mean i think i think there's been a long guiding issue in terms of sort of role models within the lgbt community but it's just more the fact of just having re- representation i think has been been an issue and just in terms of diversity and talent but also in reflection in issues mm. and i think what queer eyes managed to do so well is that it manages to reflect issues that happen within the lgbt community but also i think happen within um, wider society as well so there's like an episode in the most current series about loneliness um which i think affects us all in one way or another there's another episode about grief you know it, it, it kind of it, it it is a thing that I think is fairly universal, but can happen specifically to an LGBT um, thing as well. Sorry, mate. Yeah, I was going to say. I think. I think. The, I think the overriding sensation you get from watching this new series is, you know, talking about the one from two thousand and three and the makeovers and all that. I mean, it did have, of course, it very sort of. I don't know, not ulterior motives, but it was quite well camouflaged. In fact, what it was doing, the original series, was like shifting notions about what what being gay was and the LGBT community. That was very clever in what it was doing, I think. But this series, I think, is very much concerned with humanity. And I think think you you only have to look at some of the people they meet. I mean, for example, in the first episode of the new series, Kathy, who is this selfless teacher at at Jonathan Van Ness's old school, she's been there. She has a a bed in her office. There's a rumour that she has a bed (laughs) her office and she does because she doesn't sometimes leave the school or sometimes stays overnight because she's working so hard and what is this about this is about an individual who has given a huge amount of community and Jonathan Van Ness I'm really sorry to spoil it for you you haven't seen it yet talks to her about how she gave him confidence and other students who felt the same way as him so I think this I think what Scott you know right to point out this is about broader themes than just whether or not you should be wearing those socks with those shoes and you know (laughs) he's really trying to engage um, you know people People in very basic ways, and and trying to kind of enrich. I think trying to enrich us all in a in a in a very you know, hugely positive way. I think one thing I've got from this modern series now is that it does feel as though it is caring for absolutely everyone, and is trying to cater to everyone as well. And I, I think Scott. I'd be interested to know your opinion on this. With the original series, one of the biggest um, pitfalls I think it fell into was that it seemed to be catering first and foremost to a mainstream straight audience. Mm -hmm. And of course, 
that was the part of the necessity of of the time that it was on television. Will and Grace suffered a, a similar fate, I know as well, and I know we keep going back to that, but they are from the from the same era. But I know there was an episode of Will and Grace where they had finally the writers had finally had just about enough of the criticism that they were receiving for not being gay enough, so they wrote an episode in which uh, Will and Jack confronted the president of NBC about why they wouldn't allow a gay kiss on, on network television. And then, of course, as part of the episode, wound up accidentally putting a gay kiss on network television on the NBC Today show. So, you know, it, it, this, it was this sort of collision of the era uh, that, that they were going through. And, and I think what we've got to now is the ultimate resolution where we do have this production on Netflix, which, granted, is experiencing a lot more freedom because they are on Netflix as well. So they can kind of do, I suppose, in a way what they want. Uh, and appeal think, to a greater demographic. Yeah, you're right. I think like part of it is, is, is also because attitudes have changed. I think for quite a while it was like, oh, we'll, we'll allow there to be um, you know, gay issues explored on screen so long as it is the gay issues that we want, so long as it is the side of the LGBT story that we want to see. But anything that we would see to be uncomfortable, we don't want to see at all. And I think that, like, now I remember, well, that was about 14, 15, seeing a sort of gay kiss on Coronation Street. And if you looked by the tabloid headlines or just by for general sense, it was like the world was going to explode. And when it happened, I mean, I was excited, but when it happened, <laughs> it was like a slight peck outside a chip shop and it was raining. And it was like, was that it? You know, it was thoroughly the tabloids we're talking about as though there was a 30-minute porn <laughs> yeah. <that> Genuinely, <laughs> generally. You know, like, you know, there, 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 there were newspapers that were saying it was disgusting and, and and, and, and so forth. In the, and I feel, don't get me wrong, homophobia still exists and is very prevalent with, within society. But I think like now, you know, on, on you know, from Holby City to many different dramas and soaps, you see those sort of storylines explored all the time and people make out um, and the sex scenes and, and people just don't really mind anymore. I think like attitudes towards it has changed. But I also think like part of it is, is what is doing so well at the moment is now by the introduction of Netflix and Amazon and other sort of key players around the world, including YouTube and so forth, it's allowed people to go, right, how do we make ourselves distinctive? I don't know how about catering to audiences that the mainstream providers, the big old catch-all networks, um, don't necessarily um, want to um, cater for, and it becomes increasingly lucrative because I feel that what Netflix and Amazon are trying to do aren't just trying to grab audience away from big budgets. It's also trying to sort of grab perspectives and ideas. And I think like that's why you've seen, um, sort of not just in terms of LGBT issues, many sorts of themes being explored for the first time on those streaming platforms to make themselves distinctive enough. So, for example, you know, Orange is for New Black that sort of looked into issues about our prison system and, and, and had many different characters um, and uh, sort of raised a, sort of a big issue about um, you know, the private profitability, about how prisons are run. Like That is not a thing that a mainstream stream NBC or other network show would examine but that was one that Netflix decided to go and do so I think it kind of shows like a two-way thing part of this I think Toby is that mm. correct me if I'm wrong but gay culture seems to be having a bit of a mainstream moment at, at the moment it does feel as if it's become quite quite cool if, if you look at Queer Eye I mean that's quite obvious obviously we've we've mentioned RuPaul as another another mm. obvious one Scott referenced Orange is the New Black She-Ra has just come back <laughs> on on Netflix as well and that's quite clearly yeah. a, a, a queer themed uh, television series aimed towards a much younger audience. Uh, even The Good Fight over on, on CBS mm. uh, is exploring quite similar territory too. Have we just got to a moment where maybe gay culture has evolved to such an extent that 
other other cultures want a little piece of it now for themselves. Well, I'm, I'm going to take you right back to the original series of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy because the German translation for that show was Schwul macht cool, which translates as gays make you cool. Um, so, I mean, it's just being factual. Exactly, right? It's, it's, so, it's quite matter of fact, isn't it? It's just, it's just saying it. Like, and it had an exclamation mark at the end as well. So, I mean, it's even, it's just like, come on, deal with it. I do um, love a title with an exclamation mark. <laughs> um, I, I think of the 80s and I think about um, Frankie Goes to Hollywood and how insanely cool they were. And, I, and I, think, I think about some of the pop artists over the years and who seem to grab hold of a moment and absolutely um, dominate it. So I, I do think of, you know, the, going back to those days, that is that gay culture has been part of the mainstream for quite a long time. I think it's sometimes picked up and put down as people want to use it for their own best interests. Um, and I think I think that I think that's been a problem. Not, not just with gay culture as well. I think with 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 all sorts of cultures, of, you know, or minority cultures. Um, I, I, I think that that has been an issue. But certainly at the moment, it, it, I think what, what Scott said, um, and you know, again, I, I I'm hoping I'm not wrong here, but you're saying people. People are more accepting. There's a general, mm. there's a general acceptance, and it's not, it's not an other. It doesn't feel like, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not part of the LGBTQ plus community, but it doesn't feel like an other anymore. In mm. a lot of ways, it does feel like it is there in the mainstream. It's part of the mainstream, and you do have um, pop artists who are gay or are bi or are queer or um, you know don't don't say they are non-binary, and there are people that seem to be people saying a lot of time about you know sharing how, you know who who they are in, in ways I don't necessarily think would have happened crumbs not even 20 years ago mm, absolutely I, I, I don't know i, I don't know if not I, even 10 years ago i think i mean i i i feel i feel that there is you know people are yeah know, open to sharing who they are i mean a, a lot has changed yeah. in a, a fairly short period of time just one more question on this one before we wrap it up because uh scott it is going to be a quite nice way to to finish wrapping this little gift that's been given to us in the in the um in the realm of, of queer eye queer television uh but it, Will and Grace has just put an end date on its revival. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be seeing that uh, revived series come to an end quite soon. Um, how are you feeling now about the, the baton being passed, I suppose, when it comes to gay television? I mean, look, Will and Grace ending Queer as Folk is just mm. about to get its own little revival in some incarnation soon as well. Queer Eye will clearly be going on for quite some time yet. Has the baton been passed effectively? It has and it hasn't. It has in terms of, you know, we're you know we're seeing new shows being sort of launched all the time, but at the same time, like Netflix has been praised for Queer Eye, but there has been many shows that have dealt with LGBT issues that have been sort of cancelled quite quickly. So there was uh, Sense8, which was a very popular show. I mean, they don't reveal their, their viewing figures, but it had a large social media following that had a primarily um, LGBT cast, and then that show didn't last more than a couple of seasons. There was One Day at a Time that focused on a uh, young... Uh, uh, well, focused on a young individual who was coming out and then that didn't last more than a couple of seasons. So I think it's kind of like there's been a concern that sometimes for shows can't be just seen as a fad. I got quite frustrated where BBC last year decided to go and do a series about the decriminalisation of homosexuality, and then which is great, you know, an important issue to go and do um, to talk about that. But then did literally a couple of weeks of like, oh yeah, and we're going to do some gay dramas and it's like, why are you just squeezing it into a fortnight and then being like, you know, 
brushing your hand and being like, okay, we've done we've done the LGBT stuff. Now we can go and focus on something else. It's like it's always important to be constantly thinking for the long term about shows that might have a wider screen audience than just purely catering for LGBT people that talks about a primarily lot of range of issues that doesn't just affect the LGBT community as well. So I'd see that TV is at a moment where it's having so much investment and creativity. Um, uh, you know, for example, we've just had Pose, which has been a huge hit um, and has been shown on um, BBC Two. But at the same time, you are seeing a lot of shows being cancelled. You are seeing shows that are like flashing in a pan that do just come and then just disappear. And I hope that people just don't see it as a fad or, oh, we can spend a little bit of time in it and then something else. Uh, but Scott, elsewhere on Netflix, you wanted to draw our attention to another show to have a bit of a chat about. <laughs> yeah. This lives in the realm of, shall we say, Bake Off or The Great British Sewing Bee, which yes. is a series that I still fail to really understand. <laughs> um, this television show is called Blown Away. Tell us about it. So... The fact is, is that this is a show that I'll explain in the sentence and then you'll just go like, you what? And then you'll watch it and your reaction will be, you what? Like, it doesn't provide any answers, really. But for some reason, Netflix has decided to go and do a competitive glass blowing competition where you see basically people in furnaces, you know, wearing lots of different layers of clothing, making glass, breaking it, smashing. And then using such terms, and may I say this, this is very weird, but saying like, we're now going to put it into the glory hole because it's like a part of the machinery. So it's got that bake-off side eye look the entire time and they just literally go oh that's a nice piece of glass and that's the end of the show that's it <laughs> and like the the, the, the thing because this is obviously them trying to do a bake-off style because it's like the competitive format people are generally trust me this generally friendly to each other um and um you know it, it's trying to sort of show the creativity of what people are but so far in loads of other formats is something that you can easily do at home like masterchef cook bake off bake sewing bee sew and stab yourself accidentally using the sewing machine like i have done but like with this it's it's something that's so far removed from what most people end up doing you don't glass blow at home no i mean I'm, no but 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 but, <laughs> but but it makes me go Oh, so that does that mean, therefore, that as a TV invention that you can now just do shows on niches uh, on anything? You know, like, it, I used to think the success of these shows was purely because you were able to go and do it. So it was involving the audience. It was involving yeah, the audience. Yeah. You were able to go, oh, Sifa. But I'm not going to go and say, oh, you know, that, that furnace is not at oh, 1,070 <laughs> degrees. Like, but yet I still find it weirdly compelling. How long do they get it? Do they do like a yard of ale one? Do they get a really long one? Or? I mean, it is it is weird because like the best bit about it actually in one episode is when somebody drops it and it smashes all over the floor and then he just <laughs> stares at it and the presenter asks whether he's okay and then really like matter of fact and in the monotone vo- voice just says, it's just glass, man. It's just glass. <laughs> There's a sadistic pleasure I'm getting from this, actually, watching the destruction of things that people really care about. Uh, let's move on, because there's another program, uh, Toby, that's really caught your attention. And we are darting away from Netflix now, not far, Amazon Prime. Mm. Tell us about The Boys. Yeah, so let's, we, I mean, we, we, we open this up with The Fab Five, and let's move on to The Seven. The Seven here in this adaptation of the Garth Ennis and uh, Derek Robertson comic. Uh, the Seven are the elite superheroes at the centre of the boys. And this really feels like an adaptation for uh, the era in which we live. We do mm. have Marvel. We do have the the flag-bearing, the, 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 the fighters for decency, for truth and justice. And then we have 
the superheroes, which are grounded in a very realistic world. And, and Garth Ennis, if you follow comics, you'll know who's behind Preacher, which is also on um, Prime Video, which is, again, very um, um, deliberately um kooky um here the, the the boys is about an environment where yes there are superheroes and there are uh oh, this like i say this group called seven the, the seven but they are as corruptible they are as uh they are as bent as you like and it's really looking at what would happen if there were superheroes in the world because of course what happens it, what would happen as does happen in this series is that they are commercial entities they are venerated they have tie-ins they have movie deals they have merchandising they have franchises and it's all about their public persona and it's all about their celebrity and how that absolutely grinds up against what they are actually expected to do because they're owned by a corporation that I think they're called the Vought Company and they are they kind of manage these superheroes who are you know meant to be going out saving the world Translucent is an invisible is, an, is a guy who can be invisible He's a pervert. He has to take his clothes off to be invisible. He's a peeping tom. He hangs out in toilets, right? And so, so you have, you have, you have here. What would happen if people were imbued with these, with, with these abilities? And and we really follow the story through a chap called Huey, who was stood talking to his girlfriend when suddenly there's an explosion of blood. He's covered in gore, and she has been obliterated by a character called A Train, who is like the Flash, who can run at incredible speeds. He's run through her. He didn't even see it, just ran straight through her. He's now this guy's now covered in his in his girlfriend's blood. And it's about him trying to get back at these guys and trying to understand what is going on and how how open to corruption these people are and it's weird because it actually ties in with, with with what's happening at the moment because the mayor of baltimore actually makes an appearance in the very first episode and something terrible happens to him and of course that's incredibly relevant for the time period i'm not only recommending it soon because it is a really cynical nasty view of they may be of superhumans because they may be super but they are still human and they are still open to being um uh, greedy and proud in any in all the ways that we you know the, the us mortals might be and it also have to draw attention simply because um of carl urban's accent in this he plays a character called billy butcher he's from the east end former royal marine he leads a cia group who uh who are basically out to um keep these superheroes contained so they don't you know really lose uh don't, don't, don't kind of really lose themselves and uh his accent is is i mean i really enjoy it i mean it's cockney <laughs> it's cockney and at first i was thinking what what is, is, that? is that? Is that Cockney? <laughs> and the more I hear it, the more I'm into it. I mean, watch it for the bleak superheroes or watch it for the bleak accents, apparently. <laughs> uh, that is The Boys over on Amazon Prime, highly recommended by Toby Earl there. That does bring us to the end of today's programme. My thanks to you, Toby, and to Scott Bryan as well for joining us for today's discussion. Uh, of course, the main show we were discussing today, Queer Eye, is currently streaming on Netflix, has just returned for season four. The Monocle Culture Show is produced by Holly Fisher. I'm Ben Ryland. Robert Bound will be back next week. Until then... Thank you for tuning in.